Welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name is Jason Barnard and that was Liverpool Express, You Are My Love. It's really, really great to speak to uh, Billy Kinsley today from Liverpool Express as well as the Mersey Beats, the Merseys and um, he's done some great solo work as well to talk about a new box set that's come out on Cherry Red which has got the uh, three albums that Liverpool Express made in the 70s. The opening track, You Are My Love, is obviously from that. Uh, Welcome, Billy. Hey, Jason, great to talk to you. Thank you. Paul McCartney said that You Are My Love was one of his favourite songs. Yeah, I was delighted absolutely off the moon because I'm, a, I'm one of the biggest Beatles fans in the world and, and we played many, many times with the Beatles in Liverpool and um, and not just Liverpool, but the whole area, you know, northwest, you know, Runcorn and, and places like that. Well, I got to know Paul quite well and, and his brother Mike. Um, so I was delighted when he said that. It is great to see that the uh, three uh, Liverpool Express albums um, are now all on CD. So that I'm surprised. So that's the first time the the, the albums have, have come out come out in digital format. Well, it is. Yeah. Well, we we, we did our own album, you know, um, uh, which was a bit not naughty of us, but um, no one was doing anything about our songs, so we put them out ourselves. 
And then one of us said to us, very, very naughty. And we said, well, we got permission from our carter to put them out, you know, who was our manager and has since passed away. So it was a bit complicated, but we're all good friends. Well, Hal's dead, but uh, we're all good friends with Warner Brothers now. So that, that's, a, that's a good uh, way of looking at things from now on. Lovely. And um, the core of this podcast is covering the uh, Liverpool Express material. I'd like to kind of cover some of the tracks in, in largely chronological order, if that's OK. And I want to take you, I think we're, we're now actually in 1963, and I think it's the first Mersey Beats single it's love that really counts and that was so was that your f- first single in the mercy beats and your first hit yeah it wasn't massive it made the top 30 but it was in the top 30 for about three three months can you believe that well those were the days where you, where songs would stick around yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and it was genuine sales there was no you know yeah we we couldn't believe it and it, there's a quite a nice story behind that because the b-side was a song called fortune teller Oh, yeah. And a few other bands recorded it as well at the same time as us. But we turned up on a Thursday night or something at the cavern, and Bob Waller, the compere there, and the DJ, he said, look, everyone everyone loves both you know, both sides of, of, of the record that you're going to put out. It's love that really counts, and fortune teller. Um, what's going to be the A side, and what's going to be the B side? He literally asked the cavern audience to pick the A side, which is what they did, and we were very surprised. You know, to have a ballad, but have a ballad like that, and that nobody knew, obviously. But a lot of people, um, and and obviously, it was a, we were a beat group, um, a rock group, a beat group, whatever you want to call it for those days. But because we did have a, a ballad as our first single, we became a ballad band, really. Some of the diamonds and pearls. The kinds of things that mean so much to some girls But in the long run, baby It's love that really counts Believe me, it's love that really counts And maybe after loving you I'm here to say that no one else will do Who cares if you don't go to Paris or Rome as long as you are here, I'm happy at home But in the long run, baby It's love that really counts Believe me, it's love that really counts Whenever lots have come and gone This love of us will still go on And on So take me in your arms And darling In terms of the Mercy Beats being signed up, was it was it as simple as the the Beatles starting to get success, and then there was obviously a swathe of 
bands from the Liverpool area that got signed up. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you're spot on. Yeah, um, we got told that there was um, quite a few record companies coming down to see us because by that time we 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 were becoming very very popular in in Liverpool and and the whole area really, and we were doing Cavern lunchtime sessions, Cavern evening sessions. So we must have been doing about six or seven gigs a week on the caverns alone. And um, there was lots of um, A&R men coming down from different record companies. I, I remember Decker came down. They wanted to sign us, but we'd heard bad stories about some bands we knew, having, like the Denisons, I think, having bad times with Decker. So, um, we, we, you know, we didn't bother with that one. We, you know, we didn't want to go that way. So um, someone came from Phillips. And I, I don't know whether the Fontana label had started by then. We ended up signing for Phillips and went, on, went out on, on the Fontana label. And they came to see us uh, by mistake. They, they came to see a couple of other bands uh, that night and just, uh, well, just, you know, for something to do. They came to the lunchtime session that we were on. And that's how we, uh, that's how we got a record uh, contract because they loved us and that was it. You were just a kid, really, weren't you? I was only just 16, yeah. I was in the band. We started the band when I was 14. So it was a bit embarrassing to be that young, really, you know, to, you know, to be treated as a musician and a vocalist because I was just a kid and I could do harmonies and things and I was well into a lot of great music. That and I was very fortunate, and still am, to have a great older brother and a great older sister. We, we had a, a little pot that we put our money in, me included, and every Saturday morning, I was playing football. I was school. Um, I was captain of the football team. We lived on a road called West Derby Road, which was actually right in the middle of the cavern and the Casbah. And the bus stop was right at the bottom of Wall Street. So if I'd be playing, um, and all our home matches were just down the road in West Derby, and there was a great record shop there, and I would every Saturday morning I would go there and get three records for roughly a pound. You know, and you're talking about 78s in those days. So, yeah, and we'd all pick. We, the three of us would decide which, one, which, which records we were going to get. And we had, um, we had all the American ones because we, we always liked the American records better than the British. Having hit singles at that age must have been a bit strange. And create, Did it create pressure? It was strange and it was a bit embarrassing. It was, you know, for people to take me serious, you know, because I was a kid. I'd have to leave a gig early sometimes because I have to be up for school the next morning, you know. You had a few hits with the Mersey Beats, but then then you quit the group. I quit the band, yeah. Well, the group, yeah. You're right, saying group. We didn't call them bands in those days. We were groups, and you're spot on there. Well, I didn't like our manager. I was the youngest in the band, and consequently, I didn't drink. But the other three made up for that, and I would stay behind, especially the Cavern and the Iron Door gigs in Liverpool, and all the gigs around Liverpool. And and I would uh, wait behind and get and get paid, you know. And then it, I'd pay. Uh, okay, that's split between the four of us. And then we got to pay the road manager. And if there was an agent involved, I put the money aside for an agent. And that's what I did. And it was taken for granted. What led you to sort of forming your own group? And uh, I've I've managed to to dig out "Do Me a Favor," which uh, was recorded in that period by the Kinsleys, but I don't think it was released. It wasn't released, but you know what happened? No. It was the guy who was managing us, Jim Ireland, and someone else from, a guy from Denmark Street, from Denmark Street in London, and he, he was a publisher. And they came up and played us, they sang it to us. And he just sang it to me, at the, at, well, us, on the piano, with this big Cockney accent. You know, it was just like, do me a favour, 
you know, it was like someone out of, out of the <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we did it, and obviously we didn't we didn't do it with our accent. But it well, it was never released. But six months later, another band that they were managing was the Swing and Blue Jeans. They did it, but the lyrics had changed, and it became oh, what was it called? Promise you'll tell her. And it, it was it wasn't a massive hit, but it was a hit. Does she need me? Does she care? If she don't, then I'll be there. Do me a favor. never got um, your own record out in the Kinsleys and after about a year or so you were back with the Mercy Beats again? It was even less than that. I was only out the band about looking back about seven months back to the, you know, the reason I left we were getting called. We had a manager and believe it or not his name was Cheatham. He had been managing the Hollies the year before and what we should have done you know, when, when he became our manager was check it out with the Hollies why they chucked him. Uh, he was from Stockport, Manchester. Uh, well, yes, Stockport, the other side of Manchester. Um, and I didn't like the guy at all from the moment I met him. You know, when I was only the kid in the band and no one had listened to me. And 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 because I was getting the money every night, I knew, we, you know, we were only getting like 10, 12 quid a gig, but we were, that was a lot of money then. And then all of a sudden we're in the charts and we're earning £100 a night and we, we had no money. We literally had nothing. There was nothing to, there was, you know, there was there was no uh, checks getting paid to us. We, we thought, well, you know, we're waiting for this or we're waiting for that, and that didn't happen. But we were just told, oh, checks on its way, checks on its way. And I said, this guy's conning us. And I was only 17, so um, they wouldn't have it from me. You know, they didn't believe me. And, and you know, I was right in the end, anyway. And we, we, we were still friends. We, we were still great friends. When I found out he'd gone, and they asked me to go back. I was I was back there like a flash, you know. I stand accused, which was I think the last single of the Mercy Beats, and uh, that's fam- famously covered by Elvis Costello, so well remembered. 
Uh, yeah, he was a big fan. We met him when he was a kid, actually. Uh, we, we did the Joe, me and Tony, did, uh, as the Merseys, did the Joe Lost Pop Show, which was on the radio, um, would have been the light program, like 12 o'clock till 2. Maybe it wasn't Joe Lost, and I laughed it. They had three singers, two guys and one girl, and they were very well known on the radio. One of the guys was from the Wirral, and uh, we were chatting away to him, and he said, oh, I want, my son's coming, you know, um, lunchtime. He said he wants to meet you. So he introduced us to, and he was like about 14, 13 or 14 years old. And it was Elvis Costello. Yeah, check it out. It's there. It'll definitely be there. If you want me to find out for you, I'll find it. But he was a great guy. Yeah, and he introduced us to his son. And his son, you know, we, we, you know, we signed an autograph to him and everything, you know. And then three years later, out pops Elvis Costello. <laughs> We're great. Yeah, excellent. Ross McManus. Lovely man. Girl, I stand accused. People say I love you. Yeah, I stand accused. Oh, but what can I do? Basically, you uh, you went with Tony and uh, became the duo The Merseys. Wow, I mean, your first single was a big, big hit, Sorrow. I mean, what a track to choose. 
It was, and we got it. Someone just appeared with it, and we were signed by uh, Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp, who were managing The Who as well. And we we became great friends with The Who. We toured with them a lot. A guy who worked for, a young guy who worked for uh, the company that Kit and Chris ran, I can't remember the name of it, management company, he came to us and said, listen to this song, it's a great song. And he was, he was adamant that we had to listen. He wouldn't let us go and come back another day. He said, no, no, I want you to listen to it now. And it was the B-side of the McCoys. They just had a massive hit with Hang On Sloopy. He put it on, and to, to be honest, it sounded like very, very country-ish. You know, it, like, uh, you got long blonde hair and eyes of blue. The only thing I ever... But the song was there, the melody was there. And we just loved it. Um, and we demoed it. And then, me being me, um, I wanted to make it more interesting. Because that's all it was. And so, I'd learned at school how to do all that, all that you know, singing behind one another. With your long blonde hair, with your long blonde hair and your eyes are blue. So I said, why don't we try it like this? And it just worked. We tried recording it with a band uh, because Kit didn't want us to play on the songs. He, he just wanted us to, to uh, concentrate on the vocals. And so that's what I did. I wanted to get the vocals really good and, and, and different. Jimmy Page and Jack Bruce played on the demo that we did. And it still wasn't right. So we wanted to use a, a bigger orchestra kit. They were still on it, but not. They weren't, you know, up front like a rock band. And that that track's referenced by George Harrison in "It's All Too Much." Yeah, you're spot on there as well. Years and years later, we were at a Beatles session, and we walk in, and George looked at us and says, "Oh my God, I've just nicked one of your songs," and we didn't believe him. We everyone burst out laughing, but he, you know, he was going on about how much he loved sorrow. And we, but he still didn't tell us which song it was. And then it was like an 18 months later because it's at the end of the, what was the movie they did? Yellow Submarine. Yeah. It's since been taken off, by the way. Yeah, it's been faded out before, before the track goes into With Your Long Blonde Hair. And I was with Mike McCartney and Mike, well, Mike and Paul's dad and Frida Kelly. And we were there uh, on the opening night in Liverpool to see the movie premiere and you know uh, everyone's getting up off the seats because it's fading away and I get up and, and Frida, Frida and Mike and, and Mike's, Mike and Paul's dad is behind and Frida says no no you've got to wait you've got to see the end I said why she said you'll see <laughs> and sure enough he goes into with your long blonde hair I couldn't sleep last night so we all burst out laughing but it took me 18 months, I think it was, because obviously that movie was made quite a while. You know, cartoons take a long, long time in the making, apparently. Because we went to a pepper session. We were there for um, It's Getting Better. Great experience. Yeah. 
Our next track there's a there's a who connection uh so sad about us a mercy's track i mean that's a that's a pete townsend song but released quite a number of months before the who's version yeah so no peter said he, he's got a great song for us you know and and played it to us just on the guitar which we joined in you know you know you uh we're actually in a studio with him uh, with a couple of guitars i had an acoustic and tony and the acoustic piece had one of his big gibsons and he just played us the song and we, and we loved the song Looking back, it wasn't a great record. It goes out of time slightly uh, because uh, Kit didn't want to do it again because it cost a fortune with all the musicians on it. Stupid reasons, but that's, you know, looking back over these years, um, that shouldn't have been the case. We should have gone in, put it down ourselves and had the orchestra play over us, you know what I mean? But that, it didn't happen that way, which is sad.
What led you to um, teaming up with Jackie Lomax because you were in Jackie Lomax's band? Yeah, well, basically, it was. Um, I just got a message from a great drummer called P. Clark, who'd been in the Escorts, who were a great Liverpool band. They never really made it, but they were great musicians, and he was one of the best drummers around. Anyway, he just asked me, um, what am I doing? And I said, oh, well, we're doing cabaret and I can't stand it. He said, well, um, you know, we're looking for a bass player. I said, well, Jackie's there, he's a bass player. He said, no, no, they want Jackie to play guitar and they want you to play bass. So I went down, I got the job and, and I loved it. I had a great time. We worked with some great people. The first one to meet me when I walked through the doors at Apple was Paul McCartney. You know, in that coat, in that famous overcoat that he, he wore in day after day alone on a hill where he's running through the graveyard or something with with flour and, and that was the coat he had on and I just walked through and he went Bill how are you doing great to see you and that's the welcome we got it was it was fabulous and it was a great atmosphere at Apple until a certain guy called Klein arrived I renamed him which the Beatles loved uh, well John didn't particularly like it but Paul did I used to call him Alan D. Klein it was the decline of, of, of Apple. As soon as he arrived, no one liked him. He was a horrible man. But your time in the Jackie Lomax band was, was really good. And, and um, I don't think some of some of the tracks that you did with Jackie were released until some of the um, Is This What You Want reissues. That's right. Uh, New Day. Do you know, have you heard New Day? Yeah. What I did love was, was like working with Billy Preston as well. What a great guy and what a great musician. And... and that's when I first really started doing sessions. Going back to Liverpool was with George, but we did a track called Thumb and a Ride. That Paul produced that one. So that was me on bass on those tracks and, and Pete Clark on drums on, on them as well. And Jackie playing guitar and things and Chris Atfield on piano. Um, so, but sometimes um, uh, Billy, if Billy was around, he'd play Hammond. Also, so actually, sometimes you play piano on, on a few tracks as well. I'm going to take all my loneliness. I'm going to take all my pain. And wrap them up inside my memories. And never hear from them again. Because there's a new day dawning. There's a new day dawning There's a new day dawning There's a new day dawning And I think it's gonna be alright Cause I almost see the light Of a new day Got to throw away my protection I won't be needing that no more It's time to look out for perfection I got to get outside my door Cause there's a new day dawning 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 And I think it's gonna be alright Cause I almost see the light Of a new day Another reason for examining 
you get involved with uh, Jimmy Campbell in Rocking Horse? Uh, well, Jimmy had always been a great friend of mine uh, when he was in the Kirby's. And the Kirby's and the Merseybeats used to play a lot together uh, in the Cavern days, all over Liverpool, all over Merseyside. Well, and we became friends, really. But I just, lo- I just loved, I got to like Jimmy's songwriting, you know. Really, before he was recognised as, well, it was before he was recognised because I learnt all his songs. Um, and I'd go to parties in London pick up an acoustic guitar and it was the guy who produced the jam. Um, he, he produced them. I think he managed them as well, but he used to work for Phillips records where the Kirby's had signed up. I think I'm, uh, maybe I'm wrong there, but anyway, that they've had a couple of records out and done nothing. Uh, but I ended up years later, 1969 or something, 68, 69, maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Anyway. And I, I remember sitting down somewhere down South, at a party, and there was lots and lots of people. It, well, it was the ex-manager of the Trogs who managed this other band as well. Was sitting there, and this guy was—he was good. He, he was like looking. He was a record producer, and and, and he was like um, going to produce the Trogs. I think I don't know whether he did, but he was at the party. And then I ended up with an acoustic guitar and started singing these songs. And he was like gobsmacked, and they were all Jimmy's songs. Um, so he said, "Okay, give me his phone number now." <laughs> And that's how Jimmy got signed. So he made a few solo albums. Was it after this that you joined Forces in Rocking Horse? It, no, what happened, I played on, on, I didn't play on his first album, I played on two of his albums, I think. And some of the songs we did together were really good. And then someone came with the idea, well, why don't you form a band? We went through a lot of names, but we couldn't get, we couldn't get a name. So, uh, so we, we carried on recording. I can see uh, the next one on the list is Atlantis. And Atlantis was one of the names that we had. I'm sure that was before Rocking Horse. It must have been, yeah. So that's, that was it, basically. Um, and I remember it getting played on, on Radio 1. And everyone said, uh, oh, the guy who was doing like the early evening program, uh, it's a brand new song, by a brand new record by a brand new band called Atlantis. What do you think of it? And then I finished and he said, very repetitive, very repetitive. He said, I quite like the lead singer's voice, which was me. So I was made up with that, but he said they're too repetitive for me, not a hit. It's uh, quite a hard-edged track. There's a Billy Fury connection with it, isn't there? The label was uh, in his name. On the Fury label, yeah. 
Oh, I forgot all about that one. Well, yeah, Jason, well done, mate. Totally forgot all about that. Yeah, well, then, uh, Billy, Billy was a good friend of ours as well. Jimmy and I, whenever we were in London, we'd go up to, um, to actually just over the road where Macca lived, McCartney, and have a great laugh. We got on great with Billy. Lovely man. And he recorded quite a few of Jimmy's songs. Rocking Horse, because you um you must have really liked Julian the Hooligan, because that was a song that you you redid in Liverpool Express as well. Well, that's right. The reason for that is because when we got Liverpool Express together, they wanted the rest of the guys loved that track, so we did it on stage, and it, it was just very very short. And Roger and Tony said, "Why don't you lengthen it? You know, rewrite it and have like a, a, an intro to it and, and whatever," which is what I did. So and in 
it's, I think when we did it as Express, it was I remember Julian the Hooligan to differentiate it, obviously for publishing and everything, because um, I, I put their names on as well because they gave me the idea. Uh, but but Julian the Hooligan, uh, the Rockin' Horse version, I'd been on. It was the first holiday that me and my wife ever had. It was in southern Portugal, and we had a beautiful holiday. But we met it. Uh, a great family, a, a farmer, young farmer guy with his wife, and uh, we had a, a little girl called Sarah. Uh, she was about 18 months old, and they had a little boy called Julian, who was the same age, and they looked like brother and sister, blonde hair, and they were the same size, and they just got on like a house on fire. They were playing with each other, uh, jumping in the little kid's pool, you know, all day, and, and we got on great with their mum and dad, and uh, he just called him, Julian, come on, Julian, you hooligan, come on. And that stuck in my mind. And as soon as I got back home, I wrote the song, Julian the Hooligan. It's as simple as that.
Wanted to um, include a few of the some some of the rarer rarer tracks uh, that you've been involved with. One of which is um, a solo song of yours that I think was released in a single uh, as a single, and that's uh, Annabella. What's your recollections on that? Annabella. Well, the reason we got uh, Liverpool Express together was through, obviously Annabella was before Liverpool Express, but we used to play football. Uh, all all of the bands, you know, uh, like to keep fit. All the groups around Merseyside especially me and especially a couple of other guys, we'd be playing five-a-side every week, two or three times. And we were all musicians or comedians or both. And um, someone just someone just mentioned, hey, Rod, you know that song that you talked about the other day on the radio? Uh, this is Billy, he's the one who sang it and wrote it. And it was Annabella. And Roger said, it's just a great song and lovely. You know, he said, uh, you sing it great and it's a great song and whatever, um, do you fancy getting a band together? <laughs> and that's, that's what happened.
That's a really, really nice link into to Liverpool Express. Another track uh, which is one of the bigger, bigger singles of of Liverpool Express is "Every Man Must Have a Dream." I mean, that's obviously really, really anthemic and, and got you to number one down in South America. It certainly did. Yeah, we're known for that, and and you know, my love more than anything, and and dreaming as well, actually. But one one of the saddest thing really about "Every Man Must Have a Dream." I got told that Matt Monroe absolutely loved the song and was going to record it. This is after it, what hadn't been a hit, a couple of years after Express, you know. And then guess what? He fell ill and died. But one lovely man and a great singer. I I wrote it um, on acoustic guitar, and as with a lot of my songs, I wrote it in the middle of the night, you know, where you've got to be quite quiet so the neighbours can't hear you and everything. But I just wrote the song, and, and I didn't realise how I was writing it because I'm not a guitarist I'm a bass player and the chord sequence in Every Man Must Have a Dream is, is very very strange there's two key changes in it uh, so the structure is very strange especially for the bass player to write and I didn't realise that I just I just wrote it the way I wanted to write it it was very John Lennon influenced
Now the next track is um, a song which I don't think was released as single back in the day. Uh, it was a track on the first Liverpool out, uh, Express album tracks, I believe, but has become very, very well known now. It's a beautiful day. You're right. Well, it's been on numerous adverts all over the world. I wrote it. Mm. I joined Jerry and the Pacemakers for th- four months in 1972. Oh, for the, the revival, there was a bit of a revival in that period in terms of... That's right. Well, it was to go to America, and I'd never been to the States. I'd been to Canada, but I'd never been. And I got the chance, and again, it was Pete Clark. Pete Clark again. Um, he said, look, what are you doing? And I, I was a session guy by that time. I wasn't in a band. I was just doing a lot of sessions in London. So the top of the pop stuff. Yeah, a lot of that. A lot of that. It was a good little, you know, earner. But I wasn't in a band. So Clark, he rang me and he said, look, uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers are getting back together again, but not with none of the originals. They don't want to go back to Jerry or something, you know. So uh, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm on drums and he's got this guy uh, who's already on keyboards and he wants a bass player singer. I knew Jerry. I didn't know him really that well, but I knew him. And he said, look, Jerry wants you to come to America for, what was it, two months in the summer of 1972 to be a pacemaker. So I said, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And I did. And it was a a good move for me because um, I traveled all over America. I met a lot of great people. um, And it kept me in the business, meeting all those people as well. But just before we went to America, just as a little warm-up, we we did, I think it was two weeks cabaret. I can't remember the, where, where the first week was, but the second week was uh, somewhere in Yorkshire. And I think it was like five nights and we were staying in a, in a in a cheap hotel in the middle of the country, you know. Scunthorpe. And I, I had nothing to do with the day. And me being, you know, because I, I was I've always been sporty. I wanted to do something. I wanted to play five-a-side. I'd go for a run, and there was no one around. So I noticed a, ba- a, a bike in the backyard of the, of, the, um, of the hotel. It wasn't a proper hotel. It was like a boarding house, you know, where we were staying. And, and I just said, um, is there any chance of me going to ride on that bike? And the, the girl said, it was a girl's bike, by the way. She said, yeah, no problem. Go on, yeah. Um, she's not in till next week, so it's, and she's my mate anyway, so you can, you can have a ride, which I did. I wrote... It's a beautiful day, on a beautiful day, on, on the back of a bike in Yorkshire. And I wrote every, every lyric and every note and everything, uh, just for me had, not, you know, not even with an acoustic guitar. I've only ever done that once since his writer song in me had and without, without any instrument at all. Well, it's come next, Dreaming. Wow, is that a coincidence or what? It's a beautiful day. The day we recorded it, you know the story? In those days, because it was vinyl, uh, uh, you had a time limit. But oh, say it was half an hour aside, and if you went over that, you would, you would lose some of the top and some of the bottom of, of the recording. So we said, okay, yeah, yeah and, and this is the engineer telling us that, telling us this. And he said, you could fit another song on this album. Because we're actually mixing the song as an album. I'm sorry, mixing all the tracks as an album, putting put them in the, in the, you know, in order that they were going to end up there. And um, so everyone looked at me and said, "What about the, you know the one you played us the other day?" Even though I'd written it years before, they'd never heard it, and it was it's a beautiful day. So and we didn't have an acoustic guitar, uh, but the producer, the proper producer, who who's already got 
named with Pete, Pete he, he was in a band uh, Apple actually he was in one of the Apple bands who I know so he lived in Shepherd's Bush so we jumped in Hal Carter's car me and Pete because he had an acoustic guitar there at his flat uh, we jumped in and Hal Carter uh, had this big Volvo um, and he was big time he was you know, it was a showbiz big time do you know what I mean you know, all the flash suits and everything. He had a big flash Volvo. And he drove very, very fast and told people to F off when they, you know, when they had a go at him, nearly killing them. Anyway, we're driving down um, whatever the road is from London to Shepherd's Bush. Um, and Holland Park is on the left-hand side. And as we're driving, it was lunchtime, lunchtime, beautiful day in London. I'm in the passenger seat. Pete's in the back and Hal Carter is driving like a madman. Uh, because he wants to get another song on another on, a, on an album, which he'll have the publishing for. That's why he was driving like that. I, I'm, I'm serious about all this, by the way. You know, um, that's the way he looked at things. Oh, I'll do this, yeah, okay, yeah. And we didn't realise. We were totally innocent with all this. Anyway, I noticed a guy who was jogging at the side of me. And I'm looking at, I could, he was that tall that I couldn't see his head. I'd, looking out the window, and he was close to the car. And I kept looking, and I said, he's got the strangest run I've ever seen in my life. And he kept on running. And then the traffic lights that were on red suddenly changed, and Hal Carter put his foot down, good style. And I just saw this guy running across the road, and I banged the dashboard. And I said, Hal, stop now! And he put his foot on the brake. And we just missed the guy by inches. In fact, we, I think we might have hit him. But he, I don't think we did. He put his hands on the windscreen, on the bonnet, actually, and looked at us and said, sorry, 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 chap, sorry. Oh, oh, was it? Oh, I think I might have read this. Is this John Cleese? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you've got to tell that story because it's, it's just so important. You know, it's a beautiful day, and it was a beautiful day for John Cleese because he would have been dead. It's a beautiful day I'm feeling so fine There's love in the air And you are my mind Today's the day I wanna do the things I gotta do And if I get a chance I'd like to do it all with you It's a beautiful day Wear me a smile It's one of those days That makes living worthwhile Today is like a holiday we used to have from school Running to a beach to be the first one in the pool It's a beautiful, oh what a beautiful day It's a beautiful, oh what a beautiful day it's beautiful, oh, what a beautiful day It's a beautiful day I'm happy inside What more can I say? I've nothing to hide If you have a time, I've got so much I want to say 
If nobody will listen, well, I'll say it anyway. It's beautiful, oh, what a beautiful day. It's beautiful, oh, what a beautiful day. It's beautiful, oh, what a beautiful day. Dreaming, another very, very popular track uh, from Liverpool Express. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. I've always loved the song. A lot of people, especially in South America, again, that was a big hit there, and a lot of people loved it. Because I've written all this down, and I've got Dreaming, and next to it I've got Simplicity, because it's one of the simplest songs I've ever written, and I wrote it in my head. Yeah, and I still love it. And give Tony Coates his credit, the guitar part he plays on that is brilliant. Uh, Actually, a lot of the Liverpool Express records... Um, he, he gets, the, he, you know, he doesn't even get mentioned as a guitarist, but he was a brilliant guitarist. The keyboard player Roger gets mentioned a lot. He was brilliant as well.
So after Dreaming, I'd like to play Margie, which has always been one of my favourites. It's got a real sort of Colin Blunstone one year, so you don't mind sort of feel to me. It was, yeah. That, but I, I did it on on guitar at first, just an acoustic guitar, and it was great. But someone said, "Oh, a string quartet would be great on that." So I said, "Yeah, okay." So I think my guitar's been taken off, and the quartet went on, and then we loved it that much that we put the old fashioned four part harmony in the background, and it worked. Uh, a, a, a friend of mine did the did the parts for us as well. That's the first time we ever did that. Um, but he got us to do it to match completely the string quartet. Never thought I'd be living my life without Margie. It never entered my head until she happened to say. It's the end of the line I've been wasting my time on you, Margie, my love I never thought I'd be spending my days without Margie I never dreamed I'd be sleeping my nights all alone All she would say This way, goodbye, Margie, my love. Margie, oh, Margie, Margie, oh, Margie. track from the box set that I want to play is um, Take It Easy With My Heart and um, that's got to be um, conscious of uh, John Lennon surely. Without any doubt whatsoever, one of my heroes absolute heroes I'd always wanted to write a song like John Lennon and I think I managed it with that one to be honest I assume you never heard whether John Lennon heard Take It Easy I don't think so, I would love to know that, but by that time I didn't see John again after Apple, 1960, early 70. In fact, uh, me and Mike McCartney, you, mm. you've obviously interviewed Mike. He didn't tell you the story of when we both went to New York. No, no he didn't tell me that one. Well, we went to New York in 1980 because we were going to produce a band from Long Island who were very poppy. 
we met them over here and we listened to the songs and they, want, they wanted us, me and Mike to produce them at, at a studio upstate New York. We fly into, into New York. The plane was very, very early and we got through customs, no problem. And they met us in a um, chauffeur-driven car. They picked us up and said, hey, hey, look, you know, we're sorry, but we've got to meet the guys somewhere at three o'clock and it's only 12 o'clock now. So we've got a couple of hours to spare. What do you want to do? Uh, we said, well, we'll just go around New York, have a look around New York. And he said, well, do you want to see where John and Yoko live? As they're saying this, as we're driving out of the airport, there's a plane in the sky, a little old-fashioned prop. It's, it's obviously just taken off after we landed in New York airport. And as we're driving out, I look and there's a banner at the back of the plane. And it says, happy birthday, John. Happy birthday, Sean. Love, Yoko. It was his 40th birthday. Mike, he was well in touch with John, trying to get him and his brother back together again. So Mike says, oh my God, no, I've forgotten. It's, it's John's birthday and Sean's birthday. We can't go and see him now. But by this time, we're right outside the Dakota building. And we're looking at each other and saying, well, what should we do? And uh, we agree, we can't, we can't go there, it's his birthday. Because Yoko's going to be there and Sean. And so we're trying to think of where to go. And, and uh, Mike's famous last words as we drove away from the Dakota building were, uh, oh, no problem. Uh, we'll be back here in January. We'll see him then. Two months to the day, he was killed. Right on the spot where we'd been. Oh
penultimate song is actually quite reflective um it's from the um the liverpool express album you made about uh, 14 15 years ago the the album once upon a time and it's your song best years of my life yeah it's one of my favorite songs that i've written and it is about my friends and family and things and they were the best years of my life i forget the lines now i remember as a boy those summer days it lasts forever a game of football in the park, we must get home before it's dark. It was, it was all through, it all came. It, I wrote it and it was just flowing through, it was just my life. I remember as a boy those summer days would last forever Through our holidays from school Game of football in the park We must get home before it's dark My dad said that was the rule Best years of my life They were the best years of my life Winter day, a cobble street In Liverpool, the sound it's September in the rain I looked inside and I could see Rock and roll man playing I wanna go back there again That she's of mine
Obviously, we're, we're here today to talk about Liverpool Express. And I thought something neat to sort of tie things up would be one of your... A track from your most recent album, It's Love That Really Counts, and the song Natural High, because I think there is a bit of a Liverpool Express tie-in to that song. I've read that that was a song that was originally going to be on a Liverpool Express album. You know, you could be right. I'd forgotten all about that. I just dug that song out from the past... Are you are you a part-time detective as well? <laughs> hey, I'm oh, I'm going to have to check that one out now because when yeah you know when Spencer Lee asked me for songs that um, that was there it was already written and I don't know when I wrote it so you could well be right. I think for me it encapsulates your natural songwriting ability for for catchy melodic popular songs well that, that to me is is music is melody and i've tr- you know i've tried to do the best with my lyrics but i've concentrated on melodies as well and i'm, I'm that, that i'm thank you for saying that because it's you know i'm very very humbled by that statement thank you very much that's great um so i, I guess um all the best with the release of the uh, liverpool express uh, box set um you're still touring with uh, the mercy beats aren't you yeah, yeah. The people we're working with, it's 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 great. Yeah, we'll be taking a break for Christmas and everything. Well, I mean, there's another band that went. That we called ourselves the Cheats. It was Liverpool Express basically, and then we split as Express, and it was me and Kenny Parry. And Kenny, um, we did a song called "So What" that Kenny sings, and we just did. He's got a little band around Liverpool now called the the. Um, it says it all. The Kenny Kenny Parry band. He just asked me to do a guest spot the other night in a, in a pub in Waterloo, not too far from where I live. And I turned up, and it was just a magic night. You know, I haven't played bass for a while, so I picked the bass up and we went on to the it went into these songs, and um, the crowd absolutely loved it, and we so did we. Real pleasure. Thanks, thanks, Billy. All the best. Take care. And to you. Bye. Bye bye. She's told me many times before. But I still hang around her door She's a girl with simple ways Has me living in a haze Every time I see her face That beauty of the human race Has me shivering inside While diminishing my pride I've got to tell her How I feel 
I need to tell her my love is real Cause she's an actor oh She's an actor oh Such an actor Tell me where to go Or will she smile and say hello It's what she's doing To my brain Sometimes I think I'll Go insane Cause she's an actor Oh high She's an actor Oh Show. Sure.